Hi, I'm Katie Marquette, and you're listening to Born of Wonder. And here there is something more than just a transient experience. It's about uh, being. It's about the things that matter to me. It's about the white spaces between the paragraphs. Then God said, let there be light. It's a mistake you always made, Doc, trying to love a wild thing. Hello and welcome to Born of Wonder. I'm Katie Marquette. I'm starting today's episode with some beautiful music. Psalm 148, Lord who has made us for thine own, with music by Gustav Holst. Uh, Just absolutely beautiful. And it made me think of Kristen Laverne's daughter. Uh, Kristen is a fallen heroine who finds her way back to grace, who is being pursued by a relentless God who uh, never stops loving her, never stops hoping for her. And, uh, and, and ultimately, we see the triumph of her life. We see her self-sacrifice and, and her realization that she has never, uh, that she has never been outside of uh, God's loving embrace. And I think of that line, Lord, who has made us for thine own. And that is, uh, that's the journey that Kristen is on. That is the journey we are taking on as readers. This is such a beautiful book. I'm not going to talk too much about it here in the intro because you have an hour ahead of me and Beth Jameson, wonderful person, wonderful host of the Well-Read Life podcast. She is passionate about putting good books into people's hands. She lives in Georgia with her wonderful husband, Spunky Toddler, and Border Collie named Silas. She's from the South, but she dreams of living in the English countryside. So doesn't she sound just like, uh, you know, a friend of this podcast? What a what a compatriot here in the arts and in, in, uh, <laughs> in Anglophile love of the British countryside and books, and it turns out in Kristen Lavern's Daughter as well. This this was just so meant to be. I picked up this book again. It's a reread and Beth was rereading it too. She did a wonderful series on her podcast, which I recommend you go re uh, listen to rather and uh, all about Kristen Lavern's daughter, right? And we were just reading it at the same time. So I think this conversation was meant to be, I think it's meant to be that you hear it. So um, if you haven't read the book though, I would tell you to put a pause here, just pause the episode uh, and come back to it. Go go listen to uh, Beth's introduction to Kristen Lavern's daughter so you know what you're getting into. You can learn a l- little bit about the author, Sigurd Unset, and then read the book. And then ideally what you do is the book is in three parts, three books technically, is that then you go through each of Beth's episodes. She goes through each one, um, the wreath, the wife, and the cross. And Uh, and she has an episode for each of the books. So that's how I read it. I would read the book and then listen to Beth's podcast episode. And it was so, 
uh, so much richer that way. I got so much out of it. She brought up so many good points. And then you can come back to this episode, which is sort of like the culmination of all that reading and thinking and pondering and, uh, and just a total fangirling absolute love fest with this book. We go really in depth into the different characters and their motivations and what it means in the context of the book and of, um, you know, the theology that is being uh, espoused here. We, we talk a lot about Kristen uh, as a mother and how that's really the redemption of her life. Uh, so I, th- I think you will really enjoy it. And I'm really excited to introduce you to Beth. If you uh, have don't listen to her podcast yet, she recommends great books. So you're going to want to tune into her podcast as well. I am editing and mixing this episode a few days before it's coming out. I'm mixing it on April 29th, the feast day of St. Catherine of Siena, a saint of particular importance to me. I spent an entire year, my senior uh, year of college, uh, studying her, reading uh, her mystical treatise, The Dialogue, and uh, and basically defending her from retroactive diagnosing, where there's, there's this whole sort of academic trend of looking at different saints and religious figures in general and saying, oh, they didn't really have this mystical experience. They had, you know, a mental disorder or something like that. So really, I was, I was defending her against that, but I was also looking at the sort of theology that she was developing, um, the symbols she was using uh, in her visions that she, she then wrote about in the dialogue. Uh, and all of this I did when I wasn't Catholic. So that was very interesting. And I, I think that, you know, she's, she's, she's a powerhouse. She was, <laughs> she's had a big impact on me. And uh, I encourage you to look, look her up. She's, uh, she's a doctor of the church. She was a mystic activist, author, member of the lay member of the Dominican order. Uh, just absolutely uh, a fascinating person. And um so yes, I'm recording on her feast day, and it seems appropriate because, as I just said, she was a lay Dominican, uh, uh, and so was Sigrid Unset, who was, uh, she became Catholic uh, at the age of 42, and uh, and became became a lay Dominican, just like St. Catherine of Siena, and the final work that Sigrid Unset wrote was a biography of St. Catherine of Siena. Uh, Sigurd Unset is quoted as saying, we sorely need the wisdom of this saint. Uh, the Catholic saints of history are the only thoroughly sane people. They stood in continual confrontation with the world. Great quote there. So Sigurd Unset, very interesting person. Uh, we need a whole separate episode about her, but she won the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1928. Uh, many people don't know this. I didn't know this. Uh, I, I feel like her name is just sort of, it, it, it doesn't come up as often as it should. So she is a Nobel Prize winner, Catholic convert, and the author, most relevantly for today's discussion, of Kristen Laverne's daughter, this absolutely epic saga of one woman's life, um, a redemption story. It is so beautiful, so powerful. So I'm going to stop rambling and just let you enjoy this conversation I had with Beth Jameson. And, uh, and I hope you enjoy it. I hope you feel free to email me your thoughts. I would love to keep talking and thinking about this book. So um, if, 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 you're, if you're pausing here and going to read it, enjoy and come back and then tell me what you think. And if you have, have read Kristen, I think that this will be really thought provoking for you. Um, if you just briefly, I'm just going to tell you, visit the website, bornofwonder.com. You can email me there anytime. Love to receive your emails, loves to chat with you. You can become a patron of the podcast, $2 a month, buy me a coffee, help me pay for my subscriptions. 
uh, good stuff like that. And if you do, I will send you a handwritten letter and uh, I love to do that. Let's, you know, emails are great, but there's nothing like receiving mail, right? So I would love to send you a letter if you become a patron. So just send me a message with your address if you are interested in one. But anyway, let's get into our conversation. I hope you enjoy. So I wanted to just start with, um, so what, so this was a reread of Kristen for you, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, what was your first encounter with the book and what made you, what did you think the first time? And then why did you go for a reread? So I originally heard about it from the Fountains of Carrots podcast. Same. So years ago, <laughs> I know, years ago, and I was, at the time I was a seamstress, so I could listen to podcasts and books all the time while I was working. So I was listening to that podcast and the way they described it, I was like, I have to read this book. Well, my husband and I, and I think it was 2017, did a reading contest with each other. I love that. I know it was, (laughs) it was fun and it was crazy and quirky, but we had a great time. And that was the first book I read as part of the contest. And I just didn't know what I thought about it at first. And, but it really did stay with me. And I just, I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I finished reading Loris recently for a book club that I'm part of. And there was just something about that book that reminded me of Kristen Lovren's daughter. And what I, was the book you were reading? L- it's called Loris. Loris. Have you Loris. read it? Okay. Mm-mm. It's by Eugene Vodoletskin and it is okay. so good. And it, okay. it's kind of in a way ties in with Kristen Lovren's daughter. Okay. But it was reminding me of it. So I decided to reread Kristen Lovren's daughter and was just blown away by the story, by the writing, by the life of Sigrid Unset. And I, I don't know, I guess I wasn't a mother when I first read it. So I'm wondering if that changed once I became a mother, I could identify with her more. I think at first I was just so put off by her relationship with Erlen Mm -hmm. and um, just didn't know what I thought about that. So it was a little confusing, I think. And it had been a while since I had been reading books like that. So it was hard for me to be pulled into the story. But now it was just, I don't know, like I said, it was just amazing, an amazing experience. So what about you? Yeah, so I, I, the same Fountains of Carrots led me to the, I think they talked about it a lot. I think it was a yeah. book club book they did. I don't know if I read it exactly when they first recommended it, but I did end up reading it because they recommended it. I think 2018 or 2019 was the first okay. time. And I did really enjoy it, but I don't think it just, I just didn't impact me as heavily, I think, the first read. And I was very irritated with Kristen as a character. Like, I just found her kind of insufferable in a lot of ways. I think I I wasn't very, very compassionate toward her. I just, I didn't get it. I was like, okay, like, I I just, I didn't, I didn't sympathize with her that much. Mm -hmm. And so I liked it a lot. Like, I went back in my Goodreads and I saw, I very positively reviewed it, but, um, yeah. And then actually recently, um, my husband introduced me to a podcast called Desert Island Discs, which is like a BBC style podcast where they oh. interview people, people like Emma Thompson, lots of British people that we both probably would like a lot. Of. What <laughs> um, is the name and, of it again? 
it's desert island discs and the premise is that you're stranded on a desert island what are the eight tracks of like music that you would bring to the desert island and then they ask you we give you the bible and the works of shakespeare what other book would you bring so it's a big question it's a big my husband and i you know of course we were going back and forth saying what music would we bring what book you know whatever and for some reason I said that I would bring Kristen Laverne's daughter and I don't know where that came from um, because I just, I, I, that, and I was like, you know what though, if I was stuck on a desert Island, this book would give me, this is like an epic of someone's life. Mm-hmm. And I think that it would see me through sort of just, it, it would see me through that experience. And so I was surprised that I thought of it and I was like, I need to reread this book. So here we are. <laughs> Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad you did. Yeah. And actually, it was great timing because you were just doing like a series on it on your podcast, um, which I'm going to put a link in the show notes, especially um, like you probably shouldn't be listening to this if you haven't read it yet. So just like put a pause right now and come back later. Um, but go listen to Beth's introduction uh, to to Kristen Lavern's daughter because it's like it'll tease it for you and not give anything away. So um, and such a great series. You, I would read each book and then listen to your podcast about it. And it helped me sort of uh, get in my head just what was so meaningful to me about it. Mm-hmm. Like there were just so many themes that you brought up that I love. Um, but yeah, one of these first things I wanted to talk about was the character of Kristen. I mean, like I mm-hmm. said, I was kind of irritated with her and it sounds like maybe you were too on your first read. <laughs> Very much so. I just, like you said, I didn't have any sympathy for her. I just, yeah. I could not understand why, why she was so tempted by Erlen. I don't, mm-hmm. I just, it was, I was baffled by it. Why did she disobey her father? Why did she ruin her betrothal with Simon. What, what was drawing her to him? And I think I just wrote it off a little bit after that and, Mm -hmm. or wrote her off rather, which is such a shame because just going back to it now, I can see how wonderfully Sigrid Unset captures our frailties and our flaws Mm -hmm. through Kristen. And absolutely, I identified with her so much this this on this reading, and which kind of scared me. But I I just I don't I don't find her annoying anymore. I think Mm-mm. that first book she's so young, so it's so young. It was mm-hmm. unfair to have those. Um, I don't know that harsh criticism of her from the first book, and then in the second book, it's I don't know she's. She's struggling with what we all can struggle with in marriage when we allow resentment to enter in and when our spouse disappoints us in some way and with the expectations that we may have of them. So I think that was more eye-opening for me this time. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, I yeah, I I was thinking about it and I think it was partially that I, I also was like, okay, Erland, like, I get it. He's like a pretty boy and like charming, but like, that's it. Like, it's not worth like right. throwing your whole life away over it. Right. Um, so I think I was thinking, you know, and like when I was six, but then I'm like, when I was 16, you know, and right. I watched Fan- Phantom of the Opera, I wanted to be with the Phantom, not Raul. So that was like, right. you know, like you want the exciting, you know, bad boy guy. <laughs> so I get it. But I also think I didn't give enough credit to like the depth 
of Erland and Kristen's relationship because mm -hmm. I kind of just thought, okay, it was that initial attraction. What a shame that she threw her whole life away over that. Um, but mm -hmm. actually this reading, I realized that it was much more complicated than that because I actually mm -hmm. think they really did love each other. Oh, I think And that so. makes it a lot more complicated than like this was just a young attraction. Um, and it, it's not perfect. It's actually a very bad relationship in so mm -hmm. many ways. But um, but it is real, you know, and I exactly. don't think I gave enough credit to that. They're their own worst enemies. Like they bring yes. out the worst in each other. They have this all-consuming passion towards each other. But oh my goodness, just the absolute. There's this quote from Simon, and it's something along the lines where he says that when everything is against them, that's when yeah, they I was thrive. just thinking of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I mean, when, when they have the world like so initially when they're not allowed to be together and then mm -hmm. like and then when you know Erlen gets in all kinds of trouble and uh you know they're literally fighting for his life then they are like that you know even though mm -hmm. Erlen was cheating on her I mean but she's yeah. not even mad like you know she's like oh that's just you know oh Erlen's like you know yeah uh, <laughs> oh I know it's just, yeah it's 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 baffling but I don't know I think sometimes there are those relationships where there is that that I don't know, crazy attraction mm -hmm. that is is detrimental. Yeah, and Sigrid Unset writes it really, really well. Like I mean, their like initial, you know, they they aren't like it's not like heavy romance scenes, but they're love scenes, and mm -hmm. you feel it. I mean, you can oh, feel the so. palpable attraction between them. There's an energy between them, and you can mm -hmm. understand if you were. I mean, how old was Kristen? Fifteen. I mean, 16, sixteen, fifteen. Yeah, yeah, young like this would be so overwhelming and uh she was overwhelmed and i mean it's i actually went back and read the first time that she and mm -hmm. erlen were together she said that he looked like she remembered um her like a peasant who had come to their house and how the face he made when she gave him bread yes and it was he looked like that and she opened her arms to him and that was that mm -hmm. you know but like that that actually was like I think that Erland was like that to her, that she was like, mm -hmm. this is someone who needs me. Mm -hmm. And we see that play out in her motherhood too, like how much her children need her and how much she struggles when they don't need her so much anymore. So there's clearly this thing in her heart that's like, I need to be needed. And this man, mm -hmm. this flawed, flawed man needs mm -hmm. me, maybe in a way that capable Simon doesn't. I know. I know. Um, I know. But, well, I would love to hear your thoughts on Simon, but I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to sidetrack no, the conversation. Just, but yeah. What do you think of Simon? I mean, I I like Simon, but I'm not. I don't know. I I I don't know. Yeah, I, I I don't dislike him. I think yeah. he's a great character, but I feel like he's a little forces himself a little bit too much on Kristen in the first book. He's an honorable man. Mm -hmm. He's an honorable man. I feel he's, like he's just not a deep thinker. Like, you know no. what I mean? I feel like he's just mm -mm. like, I mean, he tries to do the right thing, um, but he sort of takes things as they are. You know, he's like, well, okay, this is my fiance and that's great. Okay. And right. like, you know, um, but he also says something interesting at some point, you know, when he's, he stays in, in love with her, you know, until he mm -hmm. dies. And, um, but he says at one point that he had fallen in love with 
with this new Kristen. Like it wasn't the Kristen that when she was a child, he says, I fell in love with Erlen's Kristen. You know, Katie, I did not even think about that. I'm so glad you brought that up. And I thought that was really, really interesting because he was like, you know, because he was saying I could picture our life together, you know, if our marriage had gone forth and it probably would have been fine, you know, but I don't think it would have been this passionate love Mm -hmm. that I have for her. I'm actually in love with who she's become Mm -hmm. as a result of this sort of like struggle that she's had to have every day of her life being Erlen's wife. (laughs) Which is a lot. It's a lot. It is a lot. And I also think I feel like Simon is in love with the idea of being Lavern's son. Absolutely. More than Kristen's husband at first. Mm -hmm. So definitely. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's why he marries. um, Now I'm good. Romborg. Rom Rongfried, or yeah, the no, Rongfried's her mother, right? Romborg's mm-hmm. the daughter. Okay, yes, the, yes. the her, youngest sister. The youngest sister, yes. So he marries Kristen's sister, which is its own kind of like, okay, it's so odd. Yeah, um, and he's so much older than her, and right. like he, by his own admission, is like, this is kind of odd. But hey, I get to be Labyrinth's son-in-law and pi- finally part of this family, you know. Um, so that definitely was a big part of it too. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, um, this might play into some of the other things we'll talk about later on. But like, you know, Kristen healing his son in oh. that, you know, um, very shady way. Oh my and uh, it just this sort of like all the doors that are opened up, mm-hmm. even in their relationship, Simon and Kristen's, because of sort of what was left unsaid and what was never addressed, but left mm-hmm. sort of like, we're not going to talk about this. And um yeah, it's just all, it's all very complicated. And I think that is one of the beauties of this book that I really mm-hmm. noted on a reread is that it's complicated. These characters are like really complicated. <laughs> yes, it is. It, there's such a depth to it. Mm-hmm. She just doesn't write one dimensional characters. They, they have, they just have so much, like I said, so much depth to them and char- the character is just amazing. She's just such yeah. an amazing writer. <laughs> She, I mean, yeah, and the I assume were you, were you reading the Tina Nunnally translation? Yes. Okay. Yeah, because I've heard I don't know that what the other translation is, but I've heard it's it's a no go. It's no good. So I'm just very grateful that we have this right. amazing translation. Yes. Um, because the the writing is so like lively and mm-hmm. it's it's really really readable. That's also why I tell people I'm trying to convince them. I'm like, don't be put off by all the Norwegian right. names. Like this is like a very readable book. It's so not readable. dense at all. Mm-mm. Um, but yeah, so Simon, inter- Kristen, and Simon, very interesting. Mm-hmm. We just we touched a little bit on what we thought of Erland initially, but he goes through a lot in the course of the book. What mm-hmm. what do we make of Erland? What do what do you think of Erland? Yeah, there's just a lot to unpack about Erlen. Um, I did not like him the first reading. I I pretty much hated him. Um, And but this time I could see the charm and how charismatic he was. Not after the first book. The first book, I still was not sure about him. But as I read the other books, he has this misguided sense of honor and it's just interesting because he seduces Kristen and dishonors Lovren's, but he has his other ways. Like when he gets caught up in the um, tre- treacherous plot against the king, that he is not going to be- 
betray his co-conspirators, that he stays very steadfast and takes the punishment for them. And so in that way, and the love that he has for Kristen, even though it is so imperfect, I he can't help but fall under his charm just a little bit in the later books. And he he's selfish and he's so impetuous and it's so maddening how impetuous he is. But he also, like I said, has that sense of honor. And I mean, he just, he does, he does stay true to things. There's a great quote that he says to Kristen when she's bringing up um, his betrayal again. It's like she has, she's want to do. She always wants to remind him of things and throw them in his face that he remembers when you go to the priest and you confess your sins that that's over, but she can't forget. So it's this, how he is able to not hold grudges in a way, you know, and he, he can forgive the things in the past with Kristen, but she, she just, she just can't. So I, I love that he's able to do that, that he's able to be forgiving, that he's able to be in, in a strange way, in, imperfect way, love Kristen, love his sons, but he's just a very flawed character. Yes. Um, yeah, I agree with everything you said. And I love that you brought up uh, that moment where they're fighting. And I think that, uh, yeah, I can't remember like what exactly had happened before and after that, but that is the moment when he says, you know, you, you're so proud, Grissa, like you can't let go of this. Like, you know, this is a sin, what you're doing. You can't like, I've, I've confessed everything, you know, everything, the priest knows everything, God knows everything, like, it's, we need to move on, and you can't let me move on. And exactly. I think that that was, I think the first time I read it, I was just like, well, he is such a jerk. Yeah, but this time I, I was like, he has a point. I mean, like, <laughs> right? he's right, you know, I mean, and in his way, he like he like you said, I mean, he did not throw his co conspirators under the bus, he was he would have died before he did that, you know, I mean, like, and even Simon recognizes that, you know, when he's tortured, and he still won't say anything that he has, like, he does have this in his, I don't think Erlen does anything that he actually thinks is wrong. Like, that's what's yes. so complicated about right. him is like, he actually believes the things he's doing, you know, so he's right. like, a He's like a deer in the headlights a lot of times. Right. So you feel almost bad for him. Like, like even with the scenario of how he got caught with this co -con this conspiratorial oh, thing he's doing, he's with another woman and he he's stupidly has like the plans, like all the letters just lying out and then like insults her. And she's like, okay, cool. I'm going to take these right. letters. And, and, like, and he says, what? well, I didn't know she could read. Yeah, that's oh. my favorite. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, he's my like, how was I? How was I supposed to know she could read? You know, and you're just like, oh my, like you just can't yeah. like hate. You're just like this guy is, like he needs he needs help. He's like a deer. He's just like, oh my gosh, like mm -hmm. can't believe I ended up here, and right. I feel like that just happens to him so many times, and that's why Kristen has to take on this hyper practical role. I mean, like, you know, his, his beautiful estate that he's inherited is in total disarray. You know, she has to show up, fix everything. And I think that's why she becomes so possessive as a mother in ways, because Erlen's not going to do any of this. Mm -hmm. He's not going to do any of these practical things. His head's in the clouds, you know? Um, but there was one thing, like when they first meet, you know, I think that Erlen is so attracted to Kristen's purity actually and he wants he has this very sincere like pure 
need to protect her you know and he has this um that one night they spend together he fall she falls asleep like under his cloak and he's like you know makes this big promise you know when she wakes up you know like you know god help me you know i'm never gonna i'm gonna protect you for my whole life everything like that and um i think that that was a sincere like image that he had of Kristen, and i think he he is constantly disappointing himself in his relationship with Kristen. um he knows he's not worthy of her and so he kind of brings her lower and lower and lower until he feels that they are on the same page and even then even in the even when he he brings her to like a brothel you know even then she has more dignity than he does and i think his he's hurt by that he's hurting himself he's hurting her it's just a mm-hmm. bad cycle <laughs> very much so yeah and especially since she's lovren's daughter such a man yes. he's He's the son-in-law of such a man of honor and that he has to, I mean, he has to compare himself to that, to how, to Lavrin's character. So that has got to be also another way that he's disappointing himself mm-hmm. because there's no way he could ever match up to Lavrin's. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that was the whole thing with like the whole, you know, the giant wedding that they go mm-hmm. ahead with, even though they both know this is not what it seems. And Kristen knows that she's already pregnant and uh, that's all going to come out that this was a big sham. Like this is, um, you know, but the whole thing with Erland is that he isn't disappointed in what they did. He's disappointed that people found out about it <laughs> because he was really looking forward to like bringing home Lavrin's daughter. You know, I mean, like this, this, this um, beautiful pure image of um you know like he he's made it he's he's gotten this girl and he's brought her home he's made her his wife he's legitimized his life after this whole debacle with his mistress for the past decade and uh here she is she's already pregnant it's proven that he was not the honorable man that he said he was um and that happens again and again and i think that actually the conspiratorial plot line um gives him an opportunity to actually sort of have the courage of his convictions and you know like nobody can fault him for that really right um, and uh even the people who were against him say you know if this had worked out he'd be like one of the richest men in norway i mean it wasn't a stupid idea everybody says this was not like a there were tons of other people who agreed with him uh trying to make this plot um he just got caught so um yeah. Any other? I, I, there's so many things that happened to Erland. What, what about Erland's? What about Erland's? Um, like the months before he dies, when he's living up on that farm, and then when he dies, like that whole saga is insane. <laughs> yes, yes. So yeah, there's a lot. There's so much there. I. It's that. I don't. It's. I mean, like he's well, waiting for her to come mm-hmm. to him. He's not going to give. She's not going to give. And, but then he comes at just, I mean, typical Erlen, he's just comes at the wrong time to come and defend her. It's already past time to do that. Oh, it's, I don't know. There's so much to unpack. It's like, I can't I even, <laughs> I know it's, I can't it's, even it's, find the words for it. I think that, I think that that whole situation, you know, where he, they have, this fight you know he goes and he's like well i'm leaving i'm going up to this farm i'm gonna live up there come see me if you want basically and then this whole this situation of them living apart which at the time too we have to remember would have been like extremely strange like it's strange in any circumstances but i mean 
priests are going to be asking, like, did you guys get separated without us knowing? Like, what is going on? And, and Simon calls her out on it and asks right. and tells her, tells her that, that this is not, this is not done. Yeah. And, and there's also another man in the house who's like their head servant, best yes. friend of the house. And that causes the whole drama later on. So, I mean, this is like a very strange situation, but these two people, Erland and Kristen are so stubborn that like neither one of them can give an inch. Um, but when Kristen finally does go up there and they spend that time together, I feel like this was such a, like, you know, Erland's like, just stay with me up here. It was mm -hmm. such a Earl in paradise because there's zero responsibility. Right. He he finally has Kristen all to himself, which is all that he ever wanted, you know, which is, you know, the fact that, you know, it seemed like she wasn't going to get pregnant that easily. And then suddenly they get married and she's having baby after baby after baby. And he's like, I did not sign up for this. <laughs> like, I thought I was getting my woman to myself. And meanwhile, she's got always has a baby on her. I don't know what's going on here. So I think that that time up at the farm, he was like, this is what I want. I don't want any responsibility. I want you just to myself. And um, I think that that just, you know, it's a real emotion, but it's not really real love because it's so selfish and it doesn't take into account any of their life together or their sons or reality. <laughs> it can't last. Um, Something like exactly. that. It, it just can't sustain itself. And I think that the difference with Kristen, as stubborn as she is, that she is so much more practical. That is not the kind of life she wants. She enjoys the working hard, making her her land prosperous. She's a good steward of it. She loves her role as a mother, and mm -hmm. she wants to take care of her children. So the idea of leaving her sons, and even for Erlen up in the mountain, is just... That's just something she can't even comprehend. And she's just yeah. not willing to go there as much as she loves him. She can't abandon her sons like that. Yeah. And I think that that is that's a big tension between them is that Erland uh, is he's yeah, like I said earlier, I mean, he just has his head in the clouds, you know, so on the one level, you feel you, you kind of can't help but feel a little bad for him because he's just not. He just doesn't get it. Like, he's just like, he's not doing it out of a sense of malevolence or like, he's just like naive. He's actually very naive, which is, um, I don't think I understood the first time I read it. Right. Um, I, he's, he's like a child. Yes. Yeah. And like that naivete is really dangerous when it's played out on this scale um, and when other people's lives are hanging in the balance. <laughs> um, but then, of course, at the very end, you know, Erlen dies. Um, unconfessed you know un unabsolved uh because again pride uh he won't have the priest you know who's been spreading rumors about Kristen be the one to absolve him and uh it's yeah i mean it's just like it's a tragic it's a terrible scene i mean it's um with chris Kristen's there and she won't let her older son even come near him because it's just the two of them you know which is also their whole problem to begin with mm -hmm. um yeah what did what did you i mean that scene shocked me when I, I had forgotten some of the details and it just happened so fast like he comes back and suddenly he's attacked he's falling off he's dying you're like what happened and, and it's it's so innocuous that he's i mean the reason that he's there it just seems like nothing could go wrong what how yeah. all of a sudden does this happen does it escalate to this degree it is like yeah. you said, it's so shocking, but I forgot all about him saying that he wasn't going to have the priest come. And I think in his mind, 
he doesn't, like you said, he doesn't think there's anything wrong with what he's doing because this priest maligned Kristen. So he's being honorable to his wife in this. And it's just that Mm -hmm. disconnect that he has. But it was, you would hope that he could have had a more heroic death, not such a tragic. Yeah. It's like a way, it's a waste what happens with him. Yeah. Yeah, it is a waste. Um, Yeah, it's just very unfortunate. And as it's, but it is like sort of the logical culmination of his worldview um, where he all the time thinks he's being loyal to Kristen. Whereas, you know, and, and Gunolf, his brother, brings this up many times. He's like, this is the woman that you love. And like, what have you put her through? You know, I mean, you took her to the, like, where did you take her? You know, and here she is giving birth to your child. And this is what you're thinking about. I mean, like, um, Erlen's love for Kristen is in his mind, he thinks he's doing the right thing, but it's almost always so wrong and so hurtful to Kristen. Um, and that he, I think that that's a big theme too, is that sort of disordered love actually mm-hmm. hurts the object of your love. Whereas real love is about freeing the object of your love, like, and, and, uh, and protecting them really not, um, not sort of selfishly clinging to them, uh, which is something that unfortunately I don't think Erland learned in this life. <laughs> Never. Um, yeah. But anyway, I could ram- ramble about Erland forever, but he's, so yeah. er, he's a very interesting, he's just he's very interesting. So interesting. Um, and, uh, but so Kristen and Erland are very interesting as parents, but I did want to talk about parenthood in general. And then also just sort of this kind of incredible example of parenthood that Kristen has in her parents. Um, I mean, Laverins is, is the Laverins of Laverins daughter. And I mean, he is, um, a huge figure, I mean, and so symbolic in so many ways. Um, what are your initial thoughts? What were your initial thoughts on Laverins and just sort of his arc in the story, his, his role in the story? I of course loved Laverins the first time I read it. And the second time I read it, I was so surprised at the deep love that he had for Kristen, at his respect that he had for his daughter, especially at that time. He teaches her to read. It's not super common, I think, for women to know how to read. She's a, I I don't know the laws of, of Norway, but he has land that he gives her, she inherits. But he takes that time with his daughter. He takes her up to the mountains with him when he has to go up there. He takes her when he goes to what town was it that he goes to to see the priest he takes his daughter there mm-hmm. so he he spends time with her he cultivates a beautiful relationship with his daughter and i just admire him i mean and he's besides all the other things about him he's a very godly man i admire so much the tenderness that he has as a father for his daughter and also just what a man of principle he is And I mean, another thing back to with Kristen, he gives her choice. Like if she was unhappy in the betrothal with Simon, he would have let her pick someone else. Erlen, he just knew was going to be bad news. That's why he did not want her to marry him. But it says somewhere that he would have allowed her to have a choice. So he's, Mm -hmm. he's never domineering to her. And 
I don't know, besides all of the other saintly things about him, it's just, mm-hmm. it is a very sweet and tender relationship that we don't always get to see in books. And I admire how, how well she wrote him and how, how fleshed out he is and how, what a godly man he is in Kristen's mm-hmm. life. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's a good point. It's like for, for all how symbolic he is, he's still very fleshed out as a character. And we do actually see conflict within him. Um, we see that he's not perfect, um, especially in his marriage. Um, but that he, that, that really, I think his personality came alive in fatherhood. Like he clearly loved it so much. He loved, and they had a lot of losses, um, you know, children dying and just terrible things happened. They lost all their sons. And, uh, you can just see that he like cherishes the relationship that he has with his children. And it is really sweet, uh, him and Kristen, especially those early chapters, and you just see the incredible safety that she finds in him. And uh, we are quite clearly supposed to see, you know, I mean, this when when Kristen before her, you know, fall, uh, she trusted God and her father with the same sort of simplicity because she'd never been shown anything else. She had no reason to think that there was anything but her father's you know, protective, loving arms. And I think that that was part of the issue with, um, with Erlen too. And why I thought of her, like, you know, when, uh, you know, here's like a man who needs help. Like, I mean, she just had very naive expectations. Like, like this is, um, a man who wants to protect me. Like I, I trust him. And, um, that wasn't the case. And yeah, I do think, uh, I think it was, I can't remember the name, but the, you know, basically he wasn't like a servant, but poorer, person that he who was in love with Kristen oh uh, yes Arn 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 yeah because I, I think I think that Simon asked it or somebody asked Labyrinth you know what if Arn had that and he said you know I would have said yeah I mean if Kristen wanted to then yes of course you know and I think that that probably was very unique at the time and uh so we are given so many examples of him um he clearly has her interests at heart um but what do you think of his of uh Ron, how do you say her name? Ron, Ron, Ron Fred, Fred, I Ron, think. Ron Fred, yeah. You, you've 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 practiced these more because you did the podcast episode. <laughs> um, Ron Fred, um, she's so interesting um, in so many ways, and I think you said in one of your episodes, I wish that we had almost gotten more of her uh, because she's the bits we do get. We see this image of like such a complex, like contradictory personality um because she first of all the start to her marriage started off on the wrong foot totally which we learned later and Lovrens was kept in the dark about this that she had been with had been madly in love with and been with this other man before they were married um and then all this loss in her life and every and everything like all her children and then when Olvild gets you know, almost killed and she brings in Fruasio like this is a woman who is like sort of clinging um, to her family, but understandably. Um, but yeah, what what do you think? I mean, yeah, she's... I so again, the first time I read it, I judged her very harshly because I thought, why why are you such a terrible mother to your daughter? You're so distant. But now I can see, and I'm I'm sorry if there's any noise. My daughter is having a hard time oh, with you're bedtime. Fine. <laughs> um, I get that. Yeah, but. <laughs> Now I could see how much the loss of her children affected her, how deeply 
the shame was she carried from that secret she was withholding from Lovren's because she comes to love him very dearly. And I, she feels like she betrayed him. And it's so, I don't know how you read the previous relationship that she had. It, it almost read like it might've been, um, possibly rape. I couldn't, I, I don't know. I had to go back. I, like I read it a couple of times, but I know she references the guy being drunk. And so I don't, it, it almost feels like there was some, it, it wasn't like she was coerced or something. There's, there's a lot, there's a lot to more to it. And she was in love with him. And I think she just comes to her marriage feeling shamed and less than, and she just, she finds herself so in, in love with this man and feeling unworthy of him. And then she has this loss after loss, after loss, after loss. And she allows that to shape her life. And there's just this, she, she mothers out of fear. She's just has very, she's very fearful with her love. And I, I feel sorry for her, or I feel much compassion for her of, I have no idea how I would be if under the same circumstances as she was in. And I, I, I can see how she also loves her children very much. And just, she allows Fru Asil to come in thinking she's, I mean, she's in such desperation and any mother can understand that just this desperation of wanting to save your child. And yet before she calls her in, she says to the priest, please still pray for us. So it's that not, not completely shutting the door when she's act like when she's calling in this woman who's supposedly a witch and just to, to do some kind of pagan practices to save her, um, to save her child. Uh, she, she still has that door open to God that she still wants to continue that relationship with him. But I just don't think she feels worthy, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I have so much sympathy for her because I think that any mother knows that if your child is, I mean, I mean, you would probably, I mean, it's like, she basically says, like, I would sell my soul for this child, like to say, you know, and like, I have a lot of sympathy for her. I mean, under that duress, I mean, I can't imagine. And like, here's somebody who could save her. Who's to say what I would do in that situation. And um, so I do have a lot of sympathy for her and especially her history. She's lost so many children. Um, and I think that that's the distance that she keeps between her and Kristen. And she also says, you know, you had such a good relationship with Lovren's. Like, I kind of you know, you were safe with him, you know, so like, she's protecting her heart. Um, she's trying to. And uh, I think that she's just very guilt ridden for much of her life. Um, and it's beautiful, though, to see I think that what we don't get for Erland and Kristen, we do get for Ronfred and Lombrids is that they have this uh, complete reconciliation of their relationship. Um, Lovrens has like this stunningly beautiful, like it, it is beautiful. Like, it sounds strange to say, but a beautiful like Christian death. Um, and, uh, and, and Romfred uh, is there by his side up until, you know, in this beautiful way, just, just accompanying him. 
and uh and then when when she when she dies it's it's much you know we're, it's like an aside we just hear that something this happened but um you have this sense that they were reconciled to each other they were reconciled to god and all of this was sort of dealt with <laughs> and it's beautiful to see so um yeah because yeah. they they had that moment on Kristen's wedding night where she confesses to Lovren's and it's it was just this healing you see this healing power of confession and repentance I mean it's it takes him a little while he is shocked and he is devastated mm -hmm. by what she has to say to him but they work through it and and it's it, you almost wonder if it could have come sooner if she had said something to him sooner but it's beautiful that it does that it does happen and like you said that death scene is just it's just it is beautiful and their relationship becomes so tender and there is an intimacy that they are able to have as they get older than than what they were able to have their whole married life which i i feel like that's wonderful to be at the end of your life and to be able to have that that close relationship and that love of your spouse is an amazing thing an amazing opportunity not opportunity but that's just uh just an amazing gift mm -hmm. and we don't you know and with the kind of love that erlen and kristen have which is so like hot and heavy and mm -hmm. back and forth and like you know it's not consistent you know you don't get that moment in old age you know you don't get that because neither of them are reliable i mean you know you might have said the wrong thing and they will be at your deathbed i mean like these are not that's not the kind of love that they had so we see very clearly um the way that these two relationships based on very different sets of values where they lead and I think that um, Kristen's parents, uh, in, in addition to just being sort of a foil and a like very, you know, uh, stark contrast to her own marriage, uh, just give us the gift of seeing what that can look like, um, even with people who are flawed, even with people who even have struggled in their marriage or had loss, that there can be always this opportunity for reconciliation and um, what that looks like. So, um yeah, so that was a beautiful scene. So we hear about Romford as a mother, pretty distant. But Kristen as a mother, I think that that is, like you said, I think that that's probably what maybe this book, like why it was like a gut punch to me. This, you know, you have a young daughter, I have a young daughter, and it just hits differently. It just it just does. Um, the I have so much more sympathy for her. I understand where she's coming from, um, but we really see Kristen. I think she's a one. I mean, she's a wonderful mother in so many ways, and I think that that is uh, especially when they're little. Um, but yeah, like so. So let's just talk about it a little bit what her motherhood, how that plays out. Um, so of course, when she initially finds out she's pregnant, she is not thrilled because this is not happening on the right timeline, and. Um, but when, and she's so worried the whole time she's pregnant that this child is going to be mis misshapen and deformed, that there's going to be some sort of problem with the child because of the way he was conceived. But lo and behold, you know, she has a beautiful baby boy. And the minute that he's born, you know, everything changes. Um, so, so, well, yeah, what did you, what, what are your thoughts? Well, one thing is that absolutely harrowing uh, labor. <laughs> 
that she goes oh through, gosh. which I, yeah. my daughter is adopted, so I have never yeah. given birth, but reading about it, I was, oh, just this yeah. never a guarantee you're going to live through something. I like know. That. And I think about that in the middle ages. I mean, this was, you know, I was in labor for three days and oh, it was the most, I mean, I wouldn't, I would never take it away for anything because I'm, I'm proud of it. And it was a beautiful experience in so many ways, but it was the most difficult experience of my life. And I can't imagine what I like when I read that I was having kind of like reactions. I was like, I need to slow down reading this because this is giving me some intense emotions. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, so what she does too, and that's also the scene she has this this amazing conversation with Gunolf, with um, Erlen's brother, who's a priest. Um, she's so terrified that she's going to die giving birth, which was such a real possibility back then. And that all of this has been unconfessed, unresolved. And she's like entering, you know, like you're like going into war, basically having none of this on your soul. And there's some amazing... Um, exchanges that happened in that scene um but and of course erlen's not there i mean who's comforting her is his brother <laughs> right i can't remember where where is he yeah where that, that's always a question where was erlen you know but it was something like why aren't you yeah because i know that gunoff was like why aren't you home like your wife's gonna give birth at like at any moment why haven't you called the women who are supposed to attend to her like no one's here you know she's gonna give birth any moment now like she's terrified what's going on you know and because of course none of these practical considerations that erlen should have been thinking about nope didn't occur to him and i think he was in denial the whole time anyway didn't even notice she was pregnant until she's like seven months along that's um, such a shock which, to me. i mean maybe she's carrying really well i don't know but like you know he's got his love goggles on or something but yeah it's like you're like wow he is <laughs> again not here in reality with us right. so um yeah, so you were saying though I interrupted you, but you were saying just just that initial scene of like the labor. That's how we first. That's that's Christian's entrance into motherhood. So it's intense. And then she's immediately loves her her child, and she goes on the pilgrimage um, to atone for the the sin. The what was it? Aline's death is on her head yes uh she went to her wedding with the bridal wreath which she should not have um because that is a symbol of purity um and also uh the virgin mary and so she's just like it's like it's a slap in the face to the church that she did this so she goes on this pilgrimage and there's just in the midst of that again more suffering that she's going through her tenderness to her infant son is is just it's just, it's so well done, so beautiful, so it's just palpable. You can, you can feel it, especially as a mother, just that emotion that you feel towards your young child, your, your infant. And it just, there's nothing like it. Um, I don't know. That's making me think of <laughs> My little girl. Yeah, I know. I know. It, it makes you very <laughs> emotional. Yeah. I mean, yeah, she's so tender with her children. And, and I think that that is something that pro I probably read before I was a mom and was like, yeah, that's very beautiful. But there's like something very visceral about it mm -hmm. that is captured. And I just could like feel myself in that position and knowing the weight of like all that she's carrying mentally and emotionally and spiritually. And then you have, I think the part of it is, is that when you have that little baby who's like completely innocent in the world and you are like 
their protection from like everything. And I mean, it still feels that way. I mean, you have a three-year-old, I have a 13 month old and it's, I'm sure for you still feels the same. It's like, there's so little and like you are there, like everything, you know, I mean, you are their protection from everything. And I think Kristen, who is in such a state of sin, who is in such a wreck emotionally that she's sort of like still able to be that and to be that so beautifully and so well um to her children i think is such a redemption for her i think it heals something in her that she can be needed in like a real way and uh it also shows us you know who are reading her story you know like this is a good person like she's like she loves really well i mean she's like all of us, we have our flaws and like her, her relationship with Erlen brings out the worst of them. But like she has this incredibly caring uh, mother's heart. Yes, I completely agree with all of that. Um, sorry, I lost my train of thought for just a second. It will come back. No there was worries. nothing uh, along with the line with the mother. Um, but, her, you know, so, so her motherhood, if so she has seven seven sons seven right? sons seven yes. sons yes so i mean lot of children here and she with each one you know she has different relationships with mm -hmm. each of them which i think are portrayed very well um some of them just for practical reasons you know different kind of relationship and uh she was taken away from them or different things happened or their personalities and just all kinds of things which i think was great that even with all these children that cigarette unset still brought out like the individuality of that mother-son mm -hmm. relationship that was so important to her. Um, but she has all these children. And as they get older, though, Erland really struggles with, well, first of all, Erland is not that into the baby face, you know, no. uh, not, you know, like just, you know, he appreciates them, but, um, you know, he's, he wants he's them distant. to go away until they yeah. get older. <laughs> Right. And then they get older and he's like, great, I have some hunting buddies now. Let's go, boys. And they're like, great, I want to because they're young boys and they want to go hang out with their dad and do fun things like that. And Kristen is uh, very hurt, I think, by that change in relationship with her sons. And also that Erland can kind of swoop in after these years of like physical and emotional toil that she's like had to like bring these children into the world and care for them. And he just kind of shows up and is like, you need to let, let them go. And she's like, uh, so they can do what? Like, what are your plans exactly for them? Right. Exactly. Um, after she has built up his estate that he never was able to, I mean, he just let it go to ruin and waste. Mm -hmm. She builds it up in order to have a legacy for her sons. He loses all of that hard work. He ha he doesn't even think about the repercussions for his sons. And then she has to work when she goes to her family farm to build that up again. And what are her sons going to do? And it is not a thought in his mind at all. He, I mean, there's clearly not enough land for these sons. These seven sons are going to have to have an occupation in life. They have nothing and it's just not a concern of his. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, so I think that it's tough because I understand why Kristen is sort of such a hovering mother even as they get older because she has to be and I think that's part of like her resentment toward Erland and everything like that is that she's put in positions that she doesn't want to be in you know she's she's like I would love to be able to take a step back and let you lead our family Erland but 
if that happened, we'd all be destitute, you know? I mean, so she's very resentful of that fact, of the roles that she's been put in that she wasn't meant to be in. And I think that that uh, comes out in, in her motherhood as she goes along. Um, so I, I understand why she can't really let go of her sons, but it does have kind it does have a negative impact on them too to have I mean clearly their parents' marriage is a wreck. But I mean they she can't like she I think there were a few moments where she like only just realizes that they're like grown men now. You know, I mean she like is like, oh wow, I didn't realize that they had grown up. And uh Yeah, because it's the yeah. oldest son has the child out of wedlock, right? Right. That dies. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. she didn't even know about it. And Erin no tells her about it. And yeah, that's that is difficult for her to relinquish that role that she's had that she's kept for so long. It's just what will she do after that? I mean, what what purpose does she have in life? And mm-hmm. it, it is like you said, it it is detrimental to her. But it's easy to see how she is caught up in that. And I I could see myself. I like I I. I would see myself do that so quickly as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was the thing too with this. This re- I was just like, yeah, I would do that. I know, and I, I, I just have a lot of sympathy. I'm like, this just makes sense. Like I can right. see I, in the it, book why it's problematic, but I'm like, I get it. Right, exactly. And that's just the beauty again of that writing is that you are able to. You can. You're distant enough as the reader to say, well, this is what you should do, but mm-hmm. you also are so immersed in the the characters and their emotions and you understand I would be the same way. I would do the same thing as, as they do. Um, One of the things that I I had thought of earlier and uh, just came back to me about her oldest son and just that tenderness of mother motherhood again, is that she does not blame her son for the indiscretions of her and Erlen. So she doesn't, I think that would be easy in some families and some relationships to put a lot of blame on the child because of the shame that it brought on her, but she still loves this child. It doesn't affect her relationship with him. Mm-hmm. And that just is a testament to her deep love as a mother is that she, she does not, um, she does not put her in a way, her, her sins on her children. She has flaws yeah. in other ways, but in that, it, um, in that particular aspect, she does not she does not put that on her sons. Yeah, that's a good that's that's a good point. Is that she sort of immediately? I feel like she just opened her life mm-hmm. to her children. Like there was no resentment, there was no holding back. There was just an immediate flood of you know just motherly uh, care and uh, loss of self in a mm-hmm. beautiful way. Yes, um, it's very sacrificial. It it is yes. it, motherhood is portrayed as sacred and sacrificial. Yes. And, and realistic. And along with that, it's very realistic. Her, like, mm-hmm. she has, she gets mad at her kids sometimes. She has oh, yeah. mm-hmm. a, a short temper with them. She does things, hurt, she's hurtful to them sometimes. But it, at the same time, the, the deep sacrifice that she has for her sons is um, is so well, well drawn out. Yeah. And I think um, I wanted to just get to this last, just to sort of round out, is Kristen's like the end of her life uh, when she makes this final, I think in a sort of motherly way, uh, sacrifice of her own life for this, yes. for this woman's soul. And also just the bravery that she exhibits every, uh, just this last 
Kristen's, I think the end of her life is such a redemption and there are such beautiful lines in that last, in, in the whole, the whole book of the cross, I think just is the theological uh, sort of powerhouse of the three books because you see the culmination of everything and you really see Kristen grappling with, uh, you know, the, the road she's taken um, and what that means on like a higher plane as she approaches her own old age and ultimately death. Um, but what it, so maybe, maybe you could set the scene for us uh, when she, so Kristen has gone to a convent. She's kind of been kicked out of her house by her new daughter-in-law. Um, and, but she's, you know, taking it all, I think very class in a very classy way and just sort of makes her exit and heads to the convent. And uh, there she finds herself a very, you know, beginning of her life at the convent. She's sneaking out to go hang out with Erland here she's back at the combat and it's a very different time of life for her. So um, maybe you could just pick up there uh, what, what happens next. So it is at the time of the black death and one of her sons comes to visit her and he, she finds out, I'm not sure from him or later on that men have died on the ship that he, I think he's a sailor on mm -hmm. the ship and it brings death and chaos to the whole town as more and more people fall prey to the sickness. And her convent takes in people, um, which is, I think, such a beautiful thing uh, during uh, the Black Death, how, how um, so many um, monasteries and convents took in the sick and cared for them. I think that's just an amazing testament to um, the love of God. But... Uh, not to get sidetracked on that, um, but they they treat people there. They fall ill. I mean, there's there's just it is death, and like I said, there's just chaos rampant in this town, and and they find out the the sisters at the convent that there are some men in town who are about to sacrifice a young child. They're going back to some paganism because they feel as though God has left them. He's abandoned them. This isn't working for us. We're going to go back to the old ways. Maybe I think it's hell is who they're going to sacrifice the child to mm. will, will help us. And so they, the, the sisters at the convent, they go there and they go to rescue this child and Kristen's is able to stop them. It's just this, oh, it's such a beautiful, beautiful scene. And it's just heart-wrenching. But she she rescues this this child who is, I believe it's he's the son of a prostitute. Mm -hmm. So these men think of he has no um worth in their eyes. And she tells them he has worth in God's eyes. He has his his soul is is has worth. And she finds out that his mother has died in a hut and just no priest came to visit her. No one was with her. She's died. It, it's just this, it's just squalor and, and sadness. And she sacrifices herself. She goes to this woman's hut and to give her a proper Christian burial. And in the, in the midst of that, she also contracts the plague. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's so powerful when her and the nuns go out and they're confronting, you know, uh, the, these these men in the middle of the night who are terrified. I mean, they're doing this out of absolute desperation, um, but they 
also don't really they they've heard lies about the nuns. They think that they are hypocrites. They're they don't quite believe it. And meanwhile, many people in the comment have died. Many of the women have died from caring for the sick. They're some of the only people who will care for the sick. And Kristen sort of in an effort to um sort of uh prove that she means what she says, that you know, every soul has value and uh this the, this this boy is worth saving. His mother's life was was worthwhile, and you can't do this. You can't treat people like this. This is not the way to go. It's better for us all to die than that you should save anybody by these means. And we have to remember this is Kristen, who herself has engaged in some relatively dark arts, uh, you know, in 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 order to 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 save Simon's son, and uh, and not to mention, you know, just her own. Uh, moral life has not been exactly uh you know perfect but she's she knows from where she speaks i think she says this with such conviction and i do think that um seeing this child in need hearing about his mother i think sparks something in her in in her mother's heart that uh she just immediately has just that loss of self just a total compassion for them and she says in order to prove her point, she said, I will go tonight on the middle of the night to this dead body out in this creepy hut by the sea. And I will get her myself and, and make sure tonight that she gets a proper burial. And, um, and that, she does it. And it's certain mm -hmm. death for her. Pretty, I mean, pretty much. I mean, that's much. what she's saying. Yeah. She's going to a known infected body. She's going to handle herself and, uh, she's she's basically giving herself a death sentence by doing this and um yeah and so she pretty immediately falls ill um and then we see you pulled out some great quotes um you'll you all should go listen to beth's podcast so you can hear some of the ones that she read but there was um oh man there were a few that i wanted to talk about but i could talk about this forever i, know, beth. I, I could know, just stay you... i don't want to like an hour i'm like ready. I, I could talk another hour i know you. exactly I won't, I won't keep you much longer but um this was uh just this was like one of the final quotes was uh i think it's when she takes off her wedding band and uh she sees the mark that had been left on her hand and i think it was a symbol of like the virgin mary and m or something so she sees this her hand is bare now because she uses her wedding ring to pay for masses to be said for the um for the woman's soul the the prostitute's soul so she's she's using so there's so much symbolism there you know her flawed marriage so many problems finally reaching some sort of redemption as she gives her wedding band away for somebody else so anyway this is what what it says uh after she takes off her wedding band it seemed a mystery she could not comprehend but she was certain that god had held her firmly in a pact that had been made for her without her knowing it from a love that had been poured over her and in spite of her willfulness, in spite of her melancholy, earthbound heart, some of that love had stayed inside her, had worked on her like the sun on the earth, had driven forth a crop that neither the firecrest fire of passion nor its stormiest anger could completely destroy. She had been a servant of God, a stubborn, defiant maid, most often an eye servant in her prayers and unfaithful in her heart, indolent, neglectful, impatient toward admonitions, inconstant in her deeds, and yet... He had held her firmly in his service, and under the glittering gold ring, a mark had been secretly impressed upon her, showing that she was his servant, owned by the Lord and King, who would now come, born on the consecrated hands of the priest, to give her release and salvation. I love that quote so much, Katie. I, 
I, when I read that this time, I just, I don't know, I, I, I just, I was awestruck by it. it it's just, I, I don't know. There aren't, <laughs> there aren't quite words for everything that is in that, in that part. It's I just, mean, Kristen, Kristen is the prodigal daughter, you know, is. I mean, she is like, and she's, this is her homecoming moment. Right. And I think that we, we do have the very same scene that we saw with her relationship with her father, with Laverne's, we saw sort of a, an echo of what we can hope happened with God, the father, um, is that, you know, despite everything, you know, that she, that there are these open arms waiting just, just, just for her to just turn back and just say, I'm sorry. And I want to come home. Like that's all she needs to say. And Laverne's is always happy to, you know, and he forgives her completely when she confesses everything to him, even though she can never fully believe that. But I like, this is like the moment I think when she realizes that God never let her out of his sight, that even as he let her have her free will and follow that will to its conclusions that he always was ready to, um, to, to, to take her back at any moment. And um, yeah. It's such a testament to his, to his faithfulness Mm -hmm. to us because it is so easy. We, I mean, in, in, in my flesh, I would write someone off. Why, why Mm -hmm. would I, why would I stick around while someone treats me as, as she, as she treats, right. as that, you know, she says she's a way, was a wayward daughter to God. Mm-hmm. And yet his tenderness, his compassion, his love, his mercy, and his faithfulness to her, not that she doesn't bear out the consequences of what she chooses in life, but mm-hmm. he is always there waiting for her and like you said, with, with open arms, it is such mm-hmm. just a testament, like I said, to the faithfulness of God. Yeah. And that we see again with the symbolism of the wedding ring that, you know, here was this wet, this marriage that is supposed to be a symbol of the covenant of God, you know, that it is supposed to be a symbol of God's love on earth. So flawed. So, you know, not living up to that ideal, but here the ring comes off and God's mark is still there. So even if Erland wasn't faithful, God was. And I think that that is the whole story is a, is a prodigal story, but it's also just a beautiful, you know, I mean, there are very few stories that we really see beginning to end someone's life and a woman's life too. I think in all the complexity and there are so many stories where women become mothers and they suddenly disappear or they lose their personality. Like in, I think it happens in Anne of Green Gables and like, you, or they, you know, like they suddenly <laughs> right. become like a, a caricature, like they're right. like Marmy all of a sudden, you know, or yes. something. And you're like, where is like, where's the individual, right. where's the person we knew before? Mm-hmm. And Kristen maintains her individuality. Um, we, we really stick with her, I think, um, as a person to see this final moment, um, where she, she redeems her life, I think in this act of this final self-sacrificing act. And, uh, it's just so beautiful. And then the last scene has, um, it's Ulf. And, uh, I think it's the, the priest that was on the priest, yeah. in Hussabi that was part of the, uh, right. Erland's estate. And it starts with an E, but I can, yes, I, I know exactly. It's like, I know who you're talking about. So uh, Father E and uh, and Ulf are walking and they uh, it's just snowed outside and they're like tenderly want it like stepping out onto the snow because they don't want to to tarnish it. And you just have this image of like sort of purity, like restored 
a beautiful clean slate finally for this woman who had been through so much. So, I mean, it was just like when I closed that book, I finished it uh, during the baby's nap on Easter Sunday. So it was like, oh, I like closed it and I was just like, oh, like it was like, I didn't, I didn't plan it that way. I didn't even mean for this to be a Lenten read, but that's what happened. So it was like, it was so powerful. Um, and I'm so grateful that you indulged me and talked with me about it oh, for an Christy. hour. I, I call you Kristen. <laughs> Katie. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I pretty much embody her now. So, you know, hey, <laughs> that's how I'm much of a, fa- a fangirl yeah. I am oh, now. <laughs> I do want to ask you real quickly, because I know, yeah. I know I don't want to take too much of your time, but okay, this is something that I just, I, I, I'm trying to figure out how someone who is not a Christian could write this story. Now, I know that Sigrid Unset was in, I think, from everything I can tell, she was kind of in the middle of, I don't know if she converted during writing Kristen Lovren's Daughter or after. I feel like it was after. But how, I mean, this is, I, I don't understand how someone who isn't a Christian can write such, write this book that that yeah. has such depth of an understanding of Christianity and the human condition. And that's just something I, I don't know. I still am trying to like, I'm still trying to figure that out. How, how she could do, how she wrote this book. <laughs> I don't, I mean, you know more about Sigrid's, uh, which we didn't get to talk about, but. Uh, another time. You, another time. <laughs> another podcast will do right. a whole episode about Sigrid Unset, but she did convert to Catholicism mm-hmm. ultimately. Um, but you're right. When she wrote this, she was she was not uh, she wasn't Catholic yet. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know where I was. I was just actually looking at people because you there was a quote you brought out. Uh, it was the the priest says to Kristen, Kristen, stay calm and do not flee from him who has been seeking you before you even existed in your mother's womb. So I don't know. I feel like maybe Sigrid Unset, even if she didn't know it yet, she did have this clearly this sense of a God who was seeking her Mm -hmm. and that maybe as somebody who maybe had lived all kinds of, you know, was, was outside of the tradition. And I think that, I mean, I'm a convert, so I know that feeling of like being pursued Mm -hmm. by something. And I don't think I could write Kristen Laverne's daughter. (laughs) I don't for many reasons, but I don't think I would have the theological language when I was sort of a more academically interested in religion more academically. I don't know. So I don't know what was going on in her heart at the time, but I can only assume there was more a lot going on between her and God at the time. Uh, Because, you know, this is clearly the writing of somebody who has felt uh redemption herself so Mm -hmm. um maybe she i don't i don't know but um it's just something i think that well i will be trying to figure out for for mm -hmm. years to come as i do dig in more into secret unset's life because she just she fascinates me so much yeah so would you recommend that you you read a biography would you recommend that biography yes it is called secret unset by a.h Winsnes, I, I will. Winsnes, okay. Yeah, we'll it's a study it in Christian in realism. Notes. Yeah. Okay. Because you also sent me some great quotes from the biography, which again, I don't have time to go through now, but uh, I it seems like it's a very it's, interesting sort of a, analysis mm-hmm. of the time and of Sigurd Unset's role in sort of many mm-hmm. sort of cultural forces going on. So 
uh, definitely something to check out. But um, yeah. I'm assuming everybody who listened all the way through has read this book. Uh, otherwise, you're just you might be really confused. I don't know what you're like. Who's who are all these people? These Norwegian names. I don't know. You're very dedicated listeners if if you're out there. But um, you know, obviously read it and you'll get a lot more out of the episode. But for all of you who have read it. Uh, you know, we would love to hear your thoughts about it. You know, you can find Beth on Instagram. Is your is your handle well read? Beth Life. Beth. Okay. Um, Beth at well, what, what, what's the handle? It's well read Beth. Sorry. <laughs> well read Beth. Okay. Well read Beth. So you can find Beth there. You can send her a message. She's got a website in the works, which we will you know share as soon as it's out. But um, definitely listen to her podcast. You can dive deeper into Kristen Labrin's daughter. She did four episodes mm -hmm. on it. So um, lots to go into there. But um, Beth, I just want to thank you so much for talking with me. Uh, you will you you have bided my time until my husband until I bully my husband into reading it. And then I can have the more conversations. I, I need people to that. talk about this. <laughs> I'm joining you in bullying my yeah. husband trying to get him I'm trying to convince him to read it. I just I want to know his impression of Kristen. Yeah, because I can't tell if he's going to just admire how what mm -hmm. a hard worker she is or if he's going, she is a hard worker she's yeah. so, mm -hmm. such a hard worker my husband oh, mm -hmm. just he loves that um he's the he's the opposite of of erlin um <laughs> oh yeah of course <laughs> very much L lucky us yeah <laughs> but i th i can't tell if she just would drive him crazy or if he would just mm -hmm. be like yeah he needed to straighten up <laughs> she's, yeah, she's right. amazing yeah, so, I think yeah. it is like, you know, and I do think this is a book like get. I'm sure I will reread it again at some point in my mm -hmm. life, um, because I think because it is a beginning to end life story, I can only imagine that it's going to keep speaking to me mm -hmm. on different levels throughout my life. So I stand by it as my pick for my desert island discs. Uh, I'll join my, you my in desert, that. Yeah. My desert island, you know, book because it, it's a hefty book. It's going to keep me occupied, but it's yes. also going to take me through all the big questions of life mm -hmm. and uh and give me a lot to think about so exactly. we obviously recommend the book <laughs> yes and i'm just about to start her um other series the olive okay. audenson series okay yes. i have Gun gunner gunner's daughter i have oh i have it too yeah. i haven't read it yet but i haven't read it yeah so uh, that's the one yeah. i have but um we'll just be yeah so there are there is more sigurd set. oh yeah yeah it'll be like a really small but devoted <laughs> yeah. group <Super> devoted <laughs> yeah so we're gonna get like t-shirts like i have norway oh. flags hanging outside oh we I'm can ready. do it, yeah. for it. So, yes yeah. absolutely <laughs> All right, Beth. Well, I won't keep you any longer, but thank, thank you, you so much. So much. Thank you, Katie. I appreciate this. This was so much fun. It's about uh, being. It's about the things that matter to me. It's about the white spaces between the paragraphs. Then God said, let there be light. It's a mistake you always made, Doc, trying to love a wild thing. 